packed out on Sunday had 374, and we're so thankful for each and every one of them. Uh, throw a rock at me if I get into overtime because the Iwana Clubbers are all coming over here uh, and need to be in here by 8 o'clock, and so, uh, so I need to be out and uh, to give them room. So uh, hopefully I'll remember that. Also, I want to add... One additional prayer request, I sent out a request earlier today, but not everybody's on the email list, but uh, last week, of course, we buried a dear friend of mine, Brother Larry Jones, the missionary, went home to be with the Lord, and we buried him, and then I received word early this morning that one of my best uh, preacher friends ever, I guess, Brother Dean Gooch, pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church in Montgomery, Ohio, went home to be with the Lord, and uh, and so uh, I woke up to to that shock. He, You know, he's one of those guys. I know hundreds of preachers, and, uh, you know, I would say good friends with a lot of them, but, uh, but he's one that I used to go fishing with a lot, and, I mean, we were really good buddies, and we took several trips together and just... Uh, uh, he's going to really be missed. So pray for the Gooch family, if you would, and not only for his wife, Barbara, but also uh, for the Fellowship Baptist Church there. Brother Dean was pastor of that church uh, over 30 years, in fact, probably close to 40 years, I guess. And so he's going to be sorely missed in that area. Well, open your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter number 28. Last week, We got down through verse number 13, and as you know, we're going verse by verse and word by word and just inching our way through this wonderful book. And uh, some of you, of course, have been here for the entire journey, and we're we're headed down the home stretch, uh, but we've still got probably several months to go before we get through. Uh, it'll probably be sometime I don't know in in the fall before we finish this up. I'm just guessing, but uh, Proverbs 28 verse number 14: Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Whenever I read that, I think, boy, you know that is really fitting that this proverb follows the last proverb because. In verse number 13, you'll remember that it had to do with our, our need to confess and to forsake our sins. Instead of trying to cover them up, instead of trying to conceal them, we're just a whole lot better off if we just come clean and confess our sins to the Lord. And, uh, and we're reminded that we cannot prosper unless we do. If we will confess them, if we will forsake them, then we shall prosper. But now, in this verse, we see that the choice that we make will either bring happiness or harm. One of those two. And uh, we go through life making choices. And every choice we make has some consequences that go along with it. So let's consider these two things here in this verse, the way to happiness, first of all. Happy is the man that feareth always. You know, it seems like everybody's looking for happiness. I mean, if you'd ask somebody to go out and stand on the street corner and take a survey, 
and ask people if they want to be happy. Everybody would vote for that. I mean, nobody wants to, you know, live in a pit of depression. Uh, the problem is not everybody understands where we derive happiness from. And a lot of folks, you know, got the idea where they can find it by looking for it, and they never do. And here we see that happiness comes from fearing the Lord. That actually seems like a strange concept to, to a lot of people. In fact, it really appears to maybe contradict some of the other scriptures which tell us to fear not. Remember the other day I was preaching on that, uh, where the Lord said, fear not. And over and over again, at least 365 times, we're told to fear not. And uh, and here it says, happy is the man that feareth always. But we've got to keep things in the context, and then we'll understand exactly what he's talking about here. You see, we tend to think of happiness as the absence of fear, that if we can just get out of any kind of a fearful situation, that that's going to make us happy. But there is a fear that is absolutely essential to our happiness, essential to a right relationship with God, essential to a life of blessedness from the Lord, and that's why Peter tells us, and you don't need to turn there, but in 1 Peter 1, 17, he says, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And throughout all of the Bible, we are taught to fear God. But we need to understand what that means, to fear God. It has to do with, a, with an attitude of reverence toward God you know, instead of bondage, we, we don't think of fear, you know, the fear of the Lord being something of bondage, but rather it is a reverence for him. It is a caution and not a distrust of him. It's diligence, you know, it's not a despondency of some sort. And so this is certainly something we don't hear a whole lot about today. We, you know, we hear all kinds of sermons today on, you know, well, I won't. I don't want to get off track on all of that, but uh, that, nobody nobody wants to talk about the fact that the Bible says that we are to fear God. You see, that's fundamental to us having a right relationship with God. And somebody comes along and tells you to you you need to live your best life now. And somebody comes along trying to tell you how you can be prosperous and you know if you just got enough faith you can drive a big fancy car and live in a mansion and never have cancer and never have any problems and what have you and uh, and uh, and yet they never tell you what it takes to have a right relationship with God this rever reverential awe of God but let me let me say this because some have left this part out there are some who say that all it means is to be reverent of the Lord and they end it there. But the fact of the matter is it also includes a dread of displeasing God. That's the way to happiness. I want to tell you right now, if you care anything at all about your relationship with the Lord, you better have a dread of offending the Lord because he's not playing games. Amen. And because God loves us so much, even those of us that are his children, those of us that have been saved, our sins have been forgiven, 
the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and he scourges every son that he receives. So, you know, when we, when we lose that fear of God and we go down a path of disobedience, we can expect that in the end result, the bottom line is we're going to get hurt. And so the fear of the Lord is essential. In fact, when you go all the way back to the beginning of the book of Proverbs, again and again, he mentions that. He tells us that it's the beginning of knowledge. And then he tells us the fear of the Lord is the path to wisdom. He tells us that it causes us to hate evil and to depart from evil. He tells us it is the fountain of life, that it prolongs our days, that it produces confidence, that is courage in the face of all of the trials that we face in this life. So, you know, it's that fear of God that keeps our heart tender, it keeps our mind alert, it keeps our our hands busy in the work of the Lord, and it keeps our souls safe. So here the Lord is laying it out right for us, the way to happiness. And there's absolutely no reason why anyone can't be happy. Anyone that is a child of God, because happiness is a choice. You see, we keep trying to blame everybody else. You know, I, I, I was sat down a little while and was watching a little bit of a Dr. Phil show and had a a situation on there where this man had been abusive to the wife and and uh, he kept saying in essence well she made me do it she knows how to push all of the buttons you know she provoked me you know until and she knows just what to say to set me off and you know just like okay that gives me an excuse to slap her around and so many times when we're unhappy in life we want to blame somebody else for it we keep thinking, you know, well, if it, you know, if it wasn't for this and wasn't for that, then I'd be happy. Let me tell you, if you have to move one inch from where you are to be happy, you'll never be happy. You can be happy wherever you are as a child of God because it's a choice that you make. And the choice, listen, the choice is not the choice to be happy. It's not gritting your teeth and scotching your feet and squaring your shoulders. So I'm going to be happy. I don't care what happens. I'm going to be happy. That, that's not the choice you make to be happy. The choice you make is to have a reverence for God. It's to fear God. That's the way to happiness. Now, that's not my idea. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, secondly, he speaks about the way to harm. It says, but... We're going to have a contrast here. The way to happiness is what? To fear God. But he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. So here we see calamity and its cause. And I say calamity because this word mischief literally means calamity. It means something that is evil, something that is harmful, something that is dangerous. It's speaking about trouble in my we look through the Bible and we see one example after another of those that have fallen as a result of the fact that they've hardened their heart against God. And in spite of all of those examples, it's like, duh, we just don't get it. Some people never seem to learn. Those of you that are parents, I know you can relate to this. There's so many times, you know, a kid will get hurt doing something and, and, your little lecture afterwards is what? Didn't I tell you? What did you expect? You know, I tried to warn you. I told you. You should have known what was going to happen. And they run right back out in the yard and do the same thing again, get hurt again. 
But children aren't the only ones that, you know, that do that. A lot of times we adults harden our heart against the Lord. And as a result of that, we end up getting hurt. Because when we harden our heart, we refuse to listen to God. We refuse to obey God's commandments. We refuse to follow God's guidance. We refuse to heed God's warnings. We refuse to claim God's promises. You know, there are a lot of people living in despair at this very moment, you know, because of the trials of life and the difficulties they are facing. And, and so they just live in a pit of despondency all of the time. And, 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 and as they do that, their, their heart gets harder and harder when the remedy for that is what? To claim God's promises. Somebody says, well, but, you know, I'm just, I'm afraid I'm not going to have uh, uh, enough, enough food or whatever. Well, claim the promise in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things will be added to you. I mean, there it is. That's God's promise to provide the things that you need if you seek first the kingdom of God. Somebody says, yeah, but life is just so tough. I just don't think I can make it. I'm just not strong enough. Well, go over to Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me and all through the Bible. But you see, as we ignore those promises, as we ignore those warnings and, and the guidance that God's trying to give us, the result of that is our whole heart gets calloused over and over. There's an old song. I remember Bev singing it several years ago. I can't remember all of the words, but it's something about being being stirred but not being moved. Any, any of you remember that old song? You know, you're in a service and the Word of God is preached and the praise of God is being sung and, and, and you, you're, you're stirred in, in your heart. You come under conviction, but you're not moved to act on it. And the end result of that is your heart is hardened as a result. It gets calloused after a while by resisting the will of God in your life. And that's why I so often say, you know, whenever we leave church, we never leave the same way we came, never. We're either better off or worse uh, off. One of the two. It it's all depends on our response to the Word of God. I guess maybe the best example of this would be, uh, would be Pharaoh. The Bible talks about the fact, and so many people have made a big issue out of the fact that it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and the Bible does say that. But you have to, you have to look at the big picture of the whole story, and before that it tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. When we harden our heart against God, you know, it's just kind of like God saying, all right, if you're going to insist on that kind of an attitude, if you're going to insist on doing that, I'll just, I'll just let you have your way. You see, God doesn't always impose his will upon us. He doesn't, he doesn't make us, you know, do what we ought to do. He gives us that option. After all, we're created in the image of God, and so we have, a, we have a will of our own that we can choose one path or the other path. So Pharaoh chose to ignore the warnings from God, and as a result, his heart was hardened, and everybody knows the horrible judgment that brought upon him and upon the people. Well, I know we don't have any kings here tonight, I don't think. And uh, no rulers of nations here tonight. 
But you know, there are a lot of people living today that are doing exactly what Pharaoh did. They are ignoring God's instructions. They're ignoring God's warnings. And their, their heart is hard and insensitive to God. And it always ends in calamity. He that hardeneth his heart shall notice, fall, shall. That's emphatic. That means it's going to happen. There's not any doubt about it. He shall. Eventually, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually he's going to fall into mischief or calamity. So God has set those two paths before us, the way to happiness and the way that leads to hurt. Now verse number 15 as a roaring lion and a ranging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the poor people. This has to do with a wicked ruler who rules by fear and by force. You know, it, it's, a, it's a shame that, you know, throughout history there have been those that have been subjected to such cruelties by those that ruled over them. And it's a reminder to us that we live in a fallen world. You know, and it's bad enough whenever wicked men are in control over prosperous people. But I think it heightens the offense whenever it talks about here those that, those that rule over poor people and the fact that they're subjected to suffering. I mean, if anybody ought to get a break, it ought to be somebody's living in poverty. But you see, these kind of rulers, these ungodly rulers, don't care. And notice how it describes these men, these rulers. It describes them as beasts and gives us a twofold picture here of their nature. In the first place, he says, you know, they're like a roaring lion. And in the second place, like a ranging bear. And that word ranging means to, to course. It in, implies to seek greedily. It's talking about going to and fro with hunger. And so these, these here are, are traits that are characteristic of those that would impose their will upon others, in this case upon the poor. And the whole idea is they have no sense of justice, they have no mercy, they have no concern for people. And uh, if you complain about it, it just provokes them all the more. I mean, that's the way it was in Cuba, that's the way it was, you, you know, in, in Russia and so forth. Uh, you know, you want to complain about it? Uh, like in China, we'll just shoot you, run you down, whatever. That's what happens when wicked men are in positions of leadership and have no sympathy for those under them. Now, verse 16, it says, The prince that wanteth, or which means lacketh understanding, is also a great oppressor. But he that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days." Now notice here's, here's the major reason for oppression, and it's a lack of understanding. Those that, that lack understanding, uh, as a result of that, they're going to be cruel to others. Now remember, remember we're talking here about those that, you know, that are leading and ruling, lording it over poor people, imposing their will upon them. 
And notice it's for a lack of understanding on their part that they oppress these people here. And in other, in, in other words, it's not just a matter of them being unconcerned about people. It's not just a matter of them not understanding. It's a matter of them being plumb stupid about it. Because they evidently don't realize that those people that they're ruling over are the greatest resource they have. And, and, and yet they treat them like the scum of the earth, you see. So instead of treating them kindly and reaping the benefits of that, they oppress them. And we see that throughout history. Now, the interesting thing about it here is that on the other side of the coin, but he that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. So we've gone from from a wicked ruler to somebody that is a wise ruler, somebody that hates covetousness. Boy, you don't find many people like that. Because, you know, for the most part, the world in general, people are covetous to the core. I mean, you just can't get enough. Makes no difference how much we got. We want more. And we, you know, who live in America, I guess we are the most guilty of all people on earth for being a covetous people. But the leader that hates covetousness is somebody that understands his responsibility to deal fairly and kindly with people. And notice the promise attached to that. When he does so, his days, his reign, his time upon the throne shall be prolonged. And so it's kind of like he's saying the longevity of the government is going to be determined by the manner in which he treats the people. Now again, I understand we're none of us here are kings, but there's a principle here that applies to every area of life, and that is that and all of us have to deal with people, don't we? I mean, you can't hardly escape that. I mean, if you get out on an island somewhere and build a, you know, a 20-foot high fence around it, that'd be somebody parachute in, I guess, but you know, if you tried to isolate yourself and get away from it, uh, that wouldn't work very well. So we all have to deal with people. And sometimes it can be extremely difficult because a lot of people are hard to get along with. But the principle is, you know, if we treat people kindly and with respect and so forth, in the end, we're all going to be better off as a result of it, you see. We don't gain anything by getting down on the level of others that, you know, that are unconcerned about people. You know, live by the philosophy, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, you know, you know there's, a, there's a principle there that we'll get to by, well, in the very next verse, by the way, where in this, from the standpoint of the government, there's a principle there that is very valid. But I'm talking about as individuals, we don't have the right, you know, to turn around and, and try to impose what we feel is justice on everybody that mistreated us because we didn't get what we wanted out of the deal. And so we're going to get even with them. Like you heard people say, I'll get even if it kills me. Well, it might. It just might. You, you don't ever know. Now verse number 17. A man that doeth violence to the blood of any person shall flee to the pit. Let no man stay him. Now this is simply put in simple terms is to tell us 
that a murderer is not to be protected from justice. You know, as unpopular as capital punishment is today, it's actually, I firmly believe, a scriptural obligation. And it's a, you know, it's a great mistake for us to think we've got a better plan than God's plan. You know, whenever you think about all of the repeat offenders, and here's somebody, you know, that killed someone, and now, I mean, it's been a proven fact. They killed someone. They murdered someone, that is. And they go to prison, and after a while, some slick lawyer makes an appeal, and they get them out, and then they turn around and go back and do the same thing again. Uh, and this might offend somebody, I don't know. But, you know, it just really troubles me that, that our taxpayers have to feed and clothe and, and pay the medical bills and everything else for, for people that have murdered and raped little children and things of that nature. I, I'll tell you what, that could all be ended in just a matter of seconds if we'd get back to that principle. But please understand we're not to gloat in that. It's a, it's a sad, sad thing. Somebody says, yeah, but, you know, it's their firm belief that, you know, the uh, capital punishment's really not a deterrent to, to murder. Well, you don't have any repeat offenders, do you? I mean, that takes care of that. And I'll tell you another thing. Whenever they know when they know that the government means business, you know, and I march into a 7-Eleven with a shotgun and I, I start blowing people away and with any consideration for their lives whatsoever, uh, and I know that it's going to cost me my life, you better believe I, I'm, I'm going to think about coming up with a different idea for how I steal things instead of just mowing people down you know uh, it sounds logical to me and and he says a man that doeth violence to the blood of any person shall flee to the pit let no man stay him protect him guard him and boy in, in, in this day where we've got some really sharp defense lawyers there have been a lot of people that seemingly have gotten away with murder, but ultimately, ultimately, none of us get away with our sins, do we? No, it, it always ends up catching up with us sooner or later. Well, verse number 18, and uh, I, we'll take this verse, verse number 18, and then we'll close it out. Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved. But he that is perverse in his ways shall fall at once. Now, that's, that's really similar to verse number 6. You know, if you go all the way back there, and you'll see the similarity between these verses. But there's two different classes of people pictured here. There are those that walk upright and those that walk perverse. That word perverse means to not or to distort. It means to wander. It means it means crooked to vacillate between right and wrong and so he's talking about those that you know that vacillate that go down a crooked road as opposed to those that walk uprightly now let me tell you within both of those groups 
You're going to find people that are gifted and people that are not gifted. You'll find people that are educated, people that are not educated. You'll find people that are, have prospered financially and those that haven't. So they might seem similar in a lot of ways, but there's a big difference in their character and a difference in the consequences. Those that walk uprightly are those that are striving to do what is right. And, um, you know, it doesn't mean they're perfect at all, but they're certainly trying to be. And he's telling us that they are going to be saved. That word saved there implying delivered. They're going to be delivered, spared from harm or judgment, however you want to look at it. But those that are perverse, those that take that winding, crooked road, he says here that they shall fall. Notice he says they shall fall at once. Now that can mean two things. It can mean all at once or it can mean once for all or it can mean both. That they shall fall. Well, whether it's now or whether it's later, they're going to fall and the the point of the proverb is this, and that is that integrity provides us protection. It promotes prosperity in our life when we walk in our integrity. We don't hear a lot about character today. You know, a lot of folks concerned about their reputation, and well, we ought to be. Somebody says, well, I don't care what people think about me. Well, you should. You ought to be concerned about what people think. That's important. But your reputation is what people think about you. Your, reputation, your character is what you really are. And it's your character that counts most. You see, you might have a horrible reputation. There might be people that hate you, despise you, mistreat you, and whatever. But if your character is pure, you're going to come out on top. You know, if we maintain a godly character, God is going to bless us as a result of that. And so it goes right back. We're ending up kind of right back where we started, you know, with there's a way that leads to happiness and there's a way that leads to harm. And it's a choice that, 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 that we must make because we're going to go down one road or the other. Kind of like old Yogi Bear, the famous Yankee catcher. Some of you might remember he had a lot of little quaint little sayings. He said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> well, you better be careful which one you take because one leads to happiness, the other leads to harm. And the wise person is going to choose God's will because it's what? Well, it's right, it's best, and it's safest. Amen? Always is. Thank you so much for being here tonight, and I pray that we've touched on something that will be of help to you, and we're going to have to have to close and wrap it up and get out of here so the Iwana kids can come in and and uh, have their time of devotion tonight. Anyone have a comment, question, anything like that before we leave? Any last word? Maybe something we forgot about. Don't forget men's meeting on Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. And so for all of you men, we'd love to have you here. Love to have you to bring somebody with you. There's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. But even if you don't get your name on it, we want you to come anyway. Have a great time, good breakfast, good fellowship, and just uh, a good time to get to know one another. So I want to encourage you to come and be here. Okay? No final word? All right. Let's all stand, and we're going to be dismissed by prayer. The Glen Boone, would you word our prayer for us tonight, sir?